you are listening to the cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France. Today we're in Cotteret Cambasque. Well, what a difference 24 hours makes in the Tour de France. Eh? Yesterday, we were worrying that maybe Jonas Vingegaard was only one more big blow away from putting the Tour beyond doubt. And today, well, it really is back on, isn't it? Today, Pogacar won the stage, trimmed a big chunk out of Vingegaard's overall advantage. Vingegaard has taken the yellow jersey, of course, but he looked a little bit like a child who'd opened his birthday card, found a £10 note inside, but had been told he can only spend it on fruit and vegetables rather than going to the sweet <laughs> shop, maybe. I don't know. My name is Lionel Burney. This is our wrap-up of Stage 6 of the Tour de France. It feels kind of surreal, given what's happened so far in this race, that we are only at Stage 6. And I am with Mitch Docker former professional rider with EF Education, of course. Hello, Mitch. G'day. Thanks, Lionel. And Francois Thomasot, for the last time, <laughs> a Tour de France reporter, his final official day on the Tour de France. I mean, we're working hard behind the scenes to persuade him to come back as a guest in the future. But Francois, perhaps you can set the scene and tell us where we are. We're in Saint-Savin, which is a little place ideally located between the Tourmalet, uh, Cotteret, facing Otakam, and on the other end of the valley is Lourdes, you know, uh, well, famous for its miracles. And uh, well, Saint-Savin is a place that's dear to my heart, uh, and it's part of my Tour de France history because of the place that makes Saint-Savin famous these days, Le Viscos, famous restaurant and hotel, and uh, where, where actually we, we've gone almost every year since uh, 1999 or 2000, well, almost a quarter of a century, uh, coming back to the Viscos for dinner, drinks, uh, sometimes covering doping stories. We would organize, you know, kind of uh, rival press rooms in the <laughs> in the courtyard of Le Viscos to cover the race. And uh, yeah, so it, it was obvious to me that I had to spend my last day on the Tour de France at Le Viscos, or not far from Le Viscos, and that's where we are. It's one of your happy places, isn't it, Francois? Yeah, I mean... Uh, that, that, the landlords uh, kind of became li- li- like like family, and it's also a, a, a real a real hot spot of the Tour de France because lots of journalists, lots of r- riders or former riders come here, know Le Viscos, come to this place. To, to give you just an example, at the next we're sitting at the terrace of a lo- little brasserie that the Viscos owners open, and guess who's sitting at the next table? Christian Prudhomme and and all the the big shots of the Tour de France. Uh, having a beer with the local authorities, this is the place to be. And it, it is one we kind of discovered with a couple of friends 25 years ago. Well, we should get on with the business of the podcast first before we tuck into whatever uh, Le Viscos has on offer for us. And as I say that, Monsieur has just brought two buckets of celebratory beers on ice, which is very nice. And we've got a really nice beer, actually. Why don't we do a little beer slot, Mitch, actually? We've got uh, a Pyrenean beer. It's an IPA. It's got quite a bit of body. This is a lovely beer, actually. This is a Sarayat. Um, beer, which is, you know, Francois knows about this beer. We reviewed this two years ago, actually, this this brewer. We came here at La Viscos to, to review a beer, and then Orian, he brought out extra beers, and we started reviewing this beer. I, I can't remember the exact origin. They have something, La Viscos has something to do with this brewery, don't they? I think so, yeah. Uh, and 
Well, they're, they're from. They're actually made in Bayonne, which is a place we uh, mm. we were, you know, <laughs> not so long ago. Uh, but yeah, there's there's lots of uh, local uh, craft beers from the Pyrenees, and they have all. I mean, there's. I don't know what's in the bucket here, but there's one with Pic du Midi in. in. Pic du Midi is a famous uh, mountain that the Tour de France never rode because there's no road to get there. Uh, there's also another one which is Col du Tourmalet. So there's a, there's a whole collection of uh, big summit be uh, beers. Yeah. Big stage ahead. It we was. have a big stage ahead. A couple of big coals to come. Yeah. So let's get into them. Well, we should. I, I should also say a friend of the podcast made a visit to the Leviscos to drink the beer that you had talked about in that episode, Mitch. Made a special visit to come and sample that beer. Anyway. Surprise me. It's time for. It's time for the tale of the attack. So Jai Hindley's spell in the yellow jersey lasted just a day. It was because he lost touch on the final kilometres of the Col du Tourmalet, a really difficult stage today. Uh, my assertion that this was a kind of lightweight um, version of the Pyrenees this year, pretty much completely disproven. Uh, the Aspen Tourmalet double is uh, always difficult. And, well, as I said... Ringegaard lost time to Tadej Pogacar because the Slovenian attacked really hard on the final climb to Kotorekambask with 2.7 kilometres to go, finished 24 seconds ahead of the Dane and gained another four seconds in the time bonuses. But until that point, really Jumbo Visma's plan looked like it had gone absolutely perfectly. Wout van Aert got in the big break at the start and it was a really powerful break again. UAE were in there with Matteo Trentin, but then there was the ex-world champion Mikhail Kwiatkowski for Ineos, Nielsen Power of EF Education and his teammate James Shaw more of him later on in the episode and another ex-world champion Julian Alaphilippe 20 riders in all and at the intermediate sprint Brian Cockar of Cofidis uh, took the maximum points so he's now second in the green jersey competition 46 points behind Jasper Philipson Nielsen Paulis went over the top of the cold Aspen first, so he's back in the polka dot jersey, taking it from Felix Gall. But really, it was all about that race uh, from the Tourmalet. Alaphilippe and Shaw were away together for a while, and that was the kind of impetus that Van Aert needed to break up the break by lifting the pace. And then behind in the GC favourites group, it was Jumbo Visma all over the show. Kelderman and then Kuss setting it up, dragging Pogacar and Vingegaard away and that's the point where Hindley was dropped. Kuss then went really hard until it was just Vingegaard and Pogacar together and Wout van Aert dropped back to do the work for his Jumbo Visma teammate. Tobias Hull and Johannesson took maximum points at the top of the Tourmalet. Bit of a bumpy sprint with Ruben Guerrero then and well it was looking so good for Vingegaard when Wout van Aert pulled off with 4.5 kilometres to go. He came to a virtual standstill didn't he? He looked very wobbly almost as if he might topple off his bike and as I said, it was Pogacar who turned the tables on Vingegaard today, winning his 10th Tour de France stage and now only 25 seconds behind the defending champion. Hindley drops to third at 134. Then there's a bit of a gap to Simon Yates at 314. Carlos Rodriguez of Ineos is fifth. The big fallers today, Giulio Ciccone from third to 22nd overall, Emmanuel Buchmann from fourth to 11th, and Matthias Skelmoser from eighth to 21st. Skelmoser perhaps feeling the effects of uh, the crash a couple of days ago. He said at the finish that his back was playing up when he was climbing. And, well, Fabio Jakobsen, the other story of the day, really, because he did make it inside the time cut with five minutes to spare. 
and three teammates to support him. Still in the tour after that crash on the motor circuit a couple of days ago, but whether he's able to sprint at the finish in Bordeaux tomorrow is another question. But we will pick up the discussion by asking whether... Uh, Jonas Vingegaard is going to be feeling a lot less certain about the Tour de France than he was this time yesterday. The cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. How did the Tour de Lunsar come about in the first place? Well, as Stephen Moon from Science in Sport explains, it really was the determination and enthusiasm of cycling fanatics on the ground in and around Freetown, the capital of the country. It's grassroots. Um, I mean, the guys have done it themselves. Nine clubs from around Freetown. They said, look, if we're not going to have anything properly organised, we're going to organise something ourselves. And they've done a brilliant job. They get some great talent out. I mean, there's a junior class last weekend and I mean, they're desperately short of just basic kit, shoes and helmets and decent bikes. There's a very well populated women's uh, field of races and with some good athletes in. And then the Blue Ribbon event is the um, is the men's class. And, and actually this year for the first time, we a men's team from Nigeria came. They were pretty dominant which is not the point really. The fact that a team would come from um, Nigeria is, is a big plus because in the same way Rwanda's become a centre for cycling in the eastern region, so if Sierra Leone can become the focus in the west, then you know, then, then maybe we can get more help from the UCA. But the guys did it themselves and, and that's to their credit because the, uh, yeah, the rule books and the supply chains and the conditions and the equipment they're operating within just, yeah, just incredibly so. Go to com for the full range of energy products to fuel your ride. Well, Francois, we missed you yesterday. Your book signing and talk went on a lot longer than we anticipated. You left Mitch and I in the Gruppetto and uh, we, we struggled a bit because we were running late for dinner. We'd had that long delay getting away from La Reims and uh, well we just about held it together in your absence I think Francois but how do you assess these two days I mean the difference between yesterday and today for both Vingegaard and Pogacar their body language was kind of the polar opposite today to how it was yesterday yeah but both stages are surprising to me because I I was expecting as I said since the beginning of the tour and even in the preview I'm, I'm more a Pogacar man than a Vingegaard guy for, from fan for many reasons which I exposed already. But yesterday when I when I saw you know Pogacar just unable to follow the pace, I thought ah you know, and he was quite a kind of disappointed. Ex- you know, it was to be expected in in many ways because we know you know he broke his his wrist and we didn't know what kind of form he was in. It, okay, so that was an explanation. And everybody this morning, and even like we were watching the the, 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 the finale, uh, you know, in Cotteret, five k's from the finish. I was talking to to a French journalist from Le Parisien who was going, oh well, it's going to be, you know, the Tour de France is going to be a long one now because you know Jonas Vingegaard is going to attack on the last climb, take more time off uh, Pogacar, and the tour is over. I don't know what we're going to write about. Well, you know, only like five minutes later, he was oh, you know, jumping all over the place, and and and. and as you said, the, the 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 look of not desperation, but the look of uh, yeah, the hapless you know look on the face of uh, uh, Jonas Vingegaard when when Pogacar attacked today, 
was exactly the same as uh, Pogacar's look the, the day the, and stare the day before. And 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 each time it was not a blistering attack. It was it, it, they just upped the tempo a, a little bit. I mean, if I could up the tempo <laughs> like this, you know. But 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 that, it was always always an. Ex they, they they were really left motionless, reactionless uh, every time. Well, I, and we were all joking that it's a perfect Netflix scenario. Like you know, somebody's written the script. I mean, Christian Prudhomme is just behind me, but you know, Christian, well done. Because uh, and we all actually when Christian came uh, to to this little square where we're at, and we we all kind of you know, uh, well, cheered him and said, we know, really, you wrote a great script there, uh, uh, Christian, because we couldn't have dreamt of anything better before you know going to the next mountain range. Uh, well, which is coming soon enough. Well, yeah, we'll maybe touch on that a little bit later. I mean, Mitch, last night, maybe we were clutching at straws a little bit. So, uh, well, we both kind of suggested that perhaps Tadej Pogacar would be freed up by the fact that he was now behind Vingegaard and would have to go on the attack in order to get back into the race, first of all. And he's always happier when he's got that freedom, that flexibility to just race. I made tried to make the point that last year he seemed to come unstuck on the uh, on the Granon because defensive riding is just not his um, cup of tea. Now we took a little bit of, uh, you know, a few comments saying that's a that's a bad take. But actually, I'm going to stick up for us here because today it showed, today, today it showed for Tade that when put into a defensive position where he has to go on the attack, he's far happier. He really committed absolutely everything to that move. You actually commented, Mitch, that he looked like he was really cracking, but. The thing was, Vingegaard behind was cracking, so it was just about getting to the line and trying to squeeze out as many seconds as possible. Isn't it different when you are in front and hurting, opposed to behind and hurting and trying to chase? And he, you know, Vingegaard was on the back foot. He, they committed everything. They knew their plan. They, you know, had Van Art waiting there. Had Sepp Cus do the job, and all of a sudden. He was on, well, I could really see it, you know, it's very easy to say in hindsight, of course, but I could really see it when Venart swung off, Vingegaard just didn't look like the aggressive, fresh rider that would be there to assault and take this time. He looked a bit spent and, you know... Rightly well, so, being on Van Aertsburg. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. I mean, he looked kind of grey, didn't yeah. he? He looked like the the energy was kind of draining from his head down to his toes. And it's great when you see that there is some uh, chink in the armour because, as I say, this time yesterday, worrying that maybe it would be a bit of a procession and that Vingegaard would clearly be stronger than Pogacar, would prove it again today on an uphill finish, prove it again on Sunday at Le Puy de Dom, and then as... Uh, Francois, your French colleague, says suddenly feels a long way to Paris, but we've got the absolute opposite of that now. Mm. Maybe the Jumbo Visma plan was not as good as planned. You know, it looked great uh, until the finale when uh, uh, Vingegaard suddenly, well, not cracked, but you know, faltered. But maybe the plan was not as good as that because they. Vingegaard attacked on the Tourmalet to drop Jainley, you know, the, the, you know, well, the yellow jersey this morning. And so he spent energy there. He spent lots of energy trying to follow Van Aert, who was totally, absolutely, uh, you know, well, I was about to say dreadful, but in the, the best ter you know, sense of it. I mean, you know, inspiring dread. And maybe it's, it, the, the tempo was a little bit too high. And then Kuss, you know, was fresher than obviously did his part of the job and also went hard as, as you know, very, very hard. And maybe all that energy, you know, left on, on dropping Hindley in the uh, Tourmalade, following Van Aert and then following Kuss. But maybe, 
maybe actually drained Vingegaard uh, more than he did uh, Pogacar, you know, who, who just played the waiting game. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the big lesson we've seen it so many times you know Lance Armstrong used to do it I know a different era Team Sky tried to do it winning the tour in like one big you know couple of days and maybe they felt that they could do it today but as you say Francois you know the better scenario would have been that when it broke down on the final climb that Sepkus would still be there and, and of course it wasn't uh, well let's hear what Sepkus said at the finish we could be happy with how we rode as a team and um, yeah, how we how we try to take on the race. Um, but yeah, Pogacar is uh, yeah, the best cyclist in the world. So we, we have to yeah be ready for, for what, the days that he bounces back and, and the kind of rider he is. I mean, yesterday uh, we we could take some time on him, so we we wanted to try again today while there was still uh, um, yeah the hard day yesterday still in the legs and. and Today's course, um, yeah, especially the earlier climbs were, were really good for Jonas. And uh, yeah, on, on this last climb here, it's, uh, it, I think it depends on the, the pace that it's ridden and, and how hard the day was before. But yeah, I don't know exactly how it played out in the end. So. Oh, I feel good so far. Um, yeah, it's only the sixth stage. <laughs> and it's been, been a pretty tough tour uh, until now. But uh, yeah, hopefully I, I can keep feeling this good. and. Uh, Help as much as I can. Well, Kuss there saying he feels good, but feeling good and being, you know, a minute and a half behind and not in the race at the key, key moment perhaps is a little bit of a tactical blunder. What about Jai Hindley, Mitch? Because, well, let's hear what he said at the finish. Oh, yeah, pretty tired. I've been, uh, been fresher. It was a long day out. Super cool to race in the, the yellow jersey on some epic climbs, and uh, I think it was a pretty epic day of racing, to be honest. It's like a childhood dream fulfilled, you know. To win a stage of the tour and to take the yellow jersey and uh, wear it the next day is like, still can't believe it. A lot of uh, guys coming up and saying congrats and that uh, was also super nice. Yeah, I could see Yumbo were going to set something up already on the tourmalay there. Uh, they started to ride pretty solid tempo from the bottom, which was pretty uncomfortable. And then, uh, yeah, I think like 5k from the top or something, they really went super hard. And uh, I, <coughs> I just tried to hang on for as long as I could, but didn't, uh, didn't manage to hold on for that long. But just did my best and yeah, it was, I knew it was an epic day. Like I had a look at it before before the race and knew what was coming. And uh, yeah, in the end it was unfortunate not to be able to follow those two, but they're really on another level. Uh, but I'm happy to still be third on GC at the moment. Uh, stage six, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like uh, still a long way to go. Uh, today was really like an epic stage for week one, uh, but so far I'm just really enjoying the racing. And I mean, like today it was pretty grim to lose a jersey, but it was super epic and full racing and I mean in the end that's why we do it. I think he had every right to think that he might get a little bit longer in the yellow jersey than he did but the aggression, the pace on the tourmalet, the fact that you know he was kind of isolated as well mm. all went against him. It did all go against him and I didn't think they were going to be so aggressive on the tourmalet. Obviously once the stage started I actually sat down and had a chat to Michael Rasmussen about what's going on here, you know, what do you think's going on? And he actually pretty much said exactly what was going on. Um, Van Aert's in the front, Vingegaard's going to go across to him, Van Aert's going to wait for him, and they're going to win the Tour, Tour de France today. He's going to take 10 minutes today. He was very confident about that, of course, being a Dane. 
But, you know, I like that he just sort of painted the picture for me and I could sort of see, oh, right, that, that's sort of what's going on here. Unfortunately for Jai Hindley, that that assault on the Tour Malay didn't suit him. Um, I, I was hoping that they would have just tried to fight it out on that last climb and he could sort of minimise the damage and, you know, hang on to sort of 30, 40 seconds and still be in the jersey. But I think, like he said, hey, I'm still third in the Tour de France. And I, I did speak to Cadell Evans, you know, um, probably a couple of months out from the Tour de France about Jai Hindley. And he said, look, the first Tour de France you do is all about experience. You've got to absorb what this race is. It's a different race to every other race. And come out of it with whatever result you do, learn from that and go on. And I think if Jai takes that approach, anything that comes out of this is positive. And I'm not saying necessarily just like give up now, it's over, but exactly what he said. Hey, I'm still third in the Tour de France behind these two superstars. Yeah, I think that the intensity of the Tour de France is is something that you can't you can't underestimate. I mean, even being in the mix in two editions of the Giro d'Italia and win, winning one of them, it's not the same level, is it? And uh, like you say, he is third. He's got a decent advantage overall over Simon Yates and really when you look at the GC you've got Simon Yates Carlos Rodriguez of Ineos Grenadiers who got knocked off in the, uh, the team bus area last oh, night yeah. by I don't want to I don't want to say whether it was a Netflix crew or not but it was certainly a TV crew and uh, a real unfortunate moment for Rodriguez but he's riding extremely well Francois we uh, we're talking to Rod Ellingworth yesterday morning and he said watch out for Kwiatkowski and for Carlos Rodriguez because they're going pretty well. Well, we've, we've seen that over the last two days. Uh, quietly, David Godou and Roman Bardet are 7th and 8th on GC. Uh, Tom Pidcock, 9th and Setkus is in 10th but obviously very much in a, uh, a working capacity. But here we are, six days in, and the tour is still very much alive. And maybe in the next part, we'll talk about why that is and what the next few days have in store. Before we carry on with the discussion of how the first six days of the Tour de France have gone and what we've got to look forward to, just want to draw attention to our Kilometre Zero series, which is now well underway. Some great episodes there, even though I say so myself. There's Francois Thomaso's Tour Tales. Part one of that is already online. The other parts will be released over the rest of the tour. There was our two-part look at the Basque Country, and we delved into the phenomenon that is VeloViewer, uh, the, the, the website that has really revolutionised the way that riders and directors sportifs prepare for stages. Today's episode was about Chris Boardman's hour record ride in Bordeaux 30 years ago this summer. Uh, we're going to finish in Bordeaux tomorrow evening and, well, Boardman's hour record attempt was time to coincide with the arrival of the Tour de France. And then on Friday, we have got an episode called Le Puy de Prudhomme, uh, which is all about Le Puy de Dom, the mountain in the Massif Central, the volcano, which the Tour de France returns to for the first time in 35 years on Sunday. Now, speaking of Christian Prudhomme, the race director, of course, uh, Francois, you've already alluded to it, but these first six days of the race have been spectacular. Okay, the, the lead up to the motor racing circuit was a bit of a snooze fest, but Dan Martin made the point in last night's episode that perhaps the Giro d'Italia should uh, take note because the Tour de France seemed to have got the, 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 the recipe right for aggressive racing, but not 
giving too much so that there's no one able to really deliver a killer blow too early. Yeah, well, I mean, l- 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 and if we if we if you look where we we're at at the moment, I mean, s- some things were sorted out, but not. I mean, you know, we were exciting uh, racing, as you said. We saw ups and downs in between Jonas Vingegaard and Tadej Pogacar. We had, we had, you know, great. Every day was ex- except maybe the the, the tra- transition day, you know, uh, leading to Nogaro to, to even, the circuit. Even that, just interrupt. E- even that, like yeah, the finish that. was exciting. Yeah, no, you know, like okay, I know the yeah, stage, but that's part so, of it. So, so it was exciting every day, uh, every time in its own way, and. It, it, it's kind of cleared the way. I mean, we know now that what, what we knew from the start, you know, that the, the, the two leading favourites to win the Tour de France, Arunas Vingegaard and uh, Tadej Pogacar, we, we, do we know more about their strengths than, uh, uh, you know, at the start in Mibao? I don't know. Probably not, you know. And we, we saw parts of their, their strengths uh, and, and also their, their weaknesses. I mean, one thing that, that was uh, important, I think, we, today we did. Tadej Pogacar was not. We, I mean, was without any teammate for a long time. He, he really found. For, I mean, but it's something he, he knows. How to, I mean, in the past, when he won his his two Tour de France, he, he, he did it without a team. Today he was kind of isolated, but it was not a problem. He, he, he still won the stage. You know, Jumbo Visma's strengths today showed. You know, turned out not to be. Th- that much of a of an asset actually, and and it's 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 more than ever down to these two guys, uh, for sure. But then there's also the the, the, the fascinating race to uh, for, to the last place on the podium, uh, maybe also for the polka dots. And uh, yeah, Giant Lake could stick in there, but I mean the Yates brothers are not far, and you know all these. So th- there'll be lots of excitement. Uh, you know, at every level of the of the of the race, like uh, yeah, as I was saying, you know, sometime this afternoon to to other friends, you know, to, talking about a Netflix uh, scenario and, and and you know, like the Netflix script being written, uh, you know, so far in the race. But Ed Jonas Vingegaard today, you know, destroyed the tour by by you know taking a minute off Pogacar and a minute more off Pogacar. We wouldn't maybe we wouldn't have had that new picture that. Christian Prudhomme is dreaming of, which is what? Which is mm. Tadej Pogacar and Jonas Vingegaard, you know, battling it out, you know, wheel in wheel up the Puy de Dome and emulating the picture that was, you know, you know, the legendary picture from 1964, almost 60 years ago, of Raymond Poulidor and Jacques Antille. Looking ahead, of course, you know, there, there is, looking ahead, there's lots of interesting things. Bordeaux, before uh, before the, the, the Champs Elysees, you know, became the uh, place to win for sprinters, Bordeaux was the place. I remember when I started covering the, the Tour de France. Every time you had a, a finish in, in Bordeaux, everybody was saying, "This is the World Championship of sprinters." You know, the Bordeaux stage. So tomorrow there's a, 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 a sprint in, in Bordeaux, in which you know we, uh, which will mean a lot for the, the best sprinters in in the bunch, and and you know one. The best sprinter in the tour ever, as far as I can tell, never won in Bordeaux, and Bordeaux, and Bordeaux, well, you know, it, uh, that's ground for. But I, I'm pretty sure of that. And and Bordeaux has been for a long time the place to win. So if that's right, and I mean we're checking out right, but you know, a, a, a victory there by 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 Cavendish and the record in Bordeaux, where that was the capital of 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 sprint on the tour for many years. As a rider, Mitch, how would you have assessed these opening six days? Because they. Yes, I know the stage to the motor racing circuit at Nogaro was 
um, really uneventful for a long time and then chaotic at the finish. But as a rider, there's not been a moment really to kind of have the sort of the traditional easing into the Tour de France. Look, the only positive I can take out of the start of the tour from a rider's perspective and the only thing that I'm generally hearing about the riders is it hasn't been a normal Tour de France in terms of stress because of the racing has been so difficult. So, you know, commonly, uh, not commonly, but typically what I'm hearing from the, the riders is those first two days, because of the terrain, because of the way the racing was, everyone just slotted straight in. If we go back 12 months ago and we think of Denmark, I'm not going to say it was easy there, but everyone could move around the bunch, which created a lot of stress, and that was the theme there, a lot of crashes and things like that. So I think everyone's fatigued physically now opposed to mentally you know as normally we have a side of a tour de france everyone's complaining about it's so stressful there's crashes i haven't really heard that in the bunch at all all i've heard is it's been on just a small corrections corner because mark cavendish won in bordeaux the last time we were there in 2010 (laughs) there we are okay so we are got it wrong but once again to uh you know to 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 seal you know the 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 i mean yeah to seal is remarkable you know career as a sprinter on the tour de france in that place bordeaux which really was ranked you know rated as the place to win a sprint would be something uh, amazing and of course the the pudidum coming so what what i'm saying i'm kind of anticipating on the but but the, the 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 main thing is that we had six days of exciting racing and none of it spoiled the rest of the tour quite the opposite well mitch a couple of the real eye-catching rides today. One by the young Norwegian for Uno X riding his first Tour de France, Tobias Harland Johannesson. We know he's a climbing talent. He really announced himself at the beginning of last season uh, by winning a stage of the Etoile de Bessege. Former Tour de l'Avenir winner, which gives you an indication of what kind of rider he is. And he was in the break all day and then finished third behind Pogacar and Vingegaard. Really impressive. But the other eye-catching rider, James Shaw of EF education easy post and you spoke to him at the finish rendezvous au bus who is it outside the team bus james mate that was an absolutely amazing ride i would i was riding there right there with you on the tv you got to tell me what was it like out there first of all in that break going for the kons but then secondly following you know the van art steam train you just didn't want to get dropped i was just like uh one more K, one more K, one more K, one more K. Um, yeah, and like I say, and then when when Van Aert did his thing and pulled off, I just thought, I just got to ride my own tempo now. I'm already in the red. Um, I'm just going to have to like sit on that on that red line for as long as I can. How's it being your first Tour de France, absorbing that atmosphere? Is it is it something you could have imagined? Yeah, I th- to be honest, I th- even goes as far as say I struggled on the first day. I struggled to take it all in. I struggled. Everything's turned up to 11, isn't it? And I was a little bit like, um, I don't know, I think I let it get to me. Um, I think Juan Mai came to me and he tried to calm me down a bit. And I think today I've been able to ride like, I've, like I know I can and how he knows I can. And hopefully, you know, more days like this to come. And lastly, just on that point, you think this is giving you now the confidence exactly just to ride exactly how you are and you've shown your potential now on the climbs. You can feel comfortable going on. I think this is the confidence boost I maybe needed. So the tour is so daunting, isn't it? Like everything is so big and so much pressure and there's just so much everything, you know. And now, you know, to begin with, there wasn't so much pressure because it was all on Russia. It was all on Carapaz to sort of do his thing. Um, 
but not that it's not that the pressure's now on us, but it's the whole dynamic. Not the not the whole dynamics. Obviously, there was still we were still here for a few stages, but the dynamic has gone into solely stage hunting us, and I don't think that's a secret. I think people, are, it's pretty obvious that's what we're here to do. Um, and yeah, I think so. That that maybe a little bit of pressure, a little bit of nerves, a little bit more to sort of to sort of get stuck in yourself. Sort of did see myself coming and putting a putting a lot more eggs in his basket. And now I've got a few eggs in my basket. I'm like, oh shit! I'll try not to drop them. <laughs> awesome, mate. Get a shower. I think James Shaw's story is a real fascinating one of redemption because he turned professional for Lotto Sudal in 2017 when he was very young, only 21, I think. And I remember doing an interview with him for Friends of the Podcast at a training camp in Mallorca when he just joined up with Lotto Sudal and he got given all of his kit and his tracksuit and everything for the, the new year. And I, he told a story about how when he told his mum that he wanted to be a professional cyclist, she was... A, a little bit uh, sceptical that you could make a living riding a bike and so he uh, kind of translated the cycling teams into football clubs and said that you know I don't know uh, Team Sky was Manchester United and uh, Quickstep were uh, I don't know Arsenal and she asked well who are Lotto Sudal and he said well Nottingham Forest who won the European <laughs> Cup twice and he's a, a boy from Nottingham and well he had his time at Lotto Sudal and then after the two year mandatory contact contract for a new pro expired he was let go without really getting the opportunity to make much of a name for himself he retreated and went back to kind of the, the British domestic racing level he also rode for the uh, Rewild Readiness team and then Ribble World Tight in 2021 where he finished fifth in the Tour of Slovenia and fifth in the Tour of Norway and in that Tour of Slovenia he was beaten by Pogacar Ulissi, Sobrero and Micah so no shame there really and well we made another Friends of the Podcast episode Richard Moore spoke to him uh, a couple of winters ago and the title summed it up really never give up and I think seeing James Shaw in the Tour de France for the first time at the age of 27 uh, it's one of those kind of heartwarming stories of a rider who had an awful lot of promise as a youngster didn't quite make it reset went again and now here he is well it's in that title is exactly what happened today you know never give up you know he's in the breakaway and he, as you heard in the interview you know what I said to him was you just didn't get dropped and he was thinking just don't get dropped in his own head I wasn't thinking like that don't just don't get dropped but he just wouldn't get dropped these guys were seeing the pace getting lifted and the guy who's been out there all day and no disrespect to his climbing ability but you've had a different way of racing the race you've been in the front you've you're pushing the pace you're working you're riding in the wind the guys behind they're sitting they're protected riders they're GC men so when they come to you regardless of their ability potentially being you know at a higher level they've also had someone leading them into the climbs so he came into that position a lot more fatigued and to see him step up and follow those guys it was it was cool to see because i've been in the situation being in a breakaway and the leaders catch you it's very hard to switch into that mode you're in a different mode you're in a breakaway mode suddenly just riding with the front guys it i can imagine it would have been electric for him i'm with the big boys I'm riding up the climbs, I'm hearing the crowd, because the crowd would have been going crazy for those front guys, and just being in their wheels would have just given him energy. Kilometre Zero at the 2023 Tour de France is available for friends of the podcast subscribers. There's an archive of more than 100 special episodes with new ones released throughout the year, and an annual subscription costs about the same as buying a cup of coffee a month. 
If you want to, you can pay more. For the first time, you can also sign up with a monthly subscription. So if you just want to see what it's all about, that might be the best option for you. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com and once you've subscribed, you'll get an email with instructions for how to add the feed to your favourite podcast app in just a few clicks. Support The Cycling Podcast by becoming a friend of the podcast. Well, I think we can all be inspired by that message, can't we, Francois? Never give up, eh? Never give up. Yeah, well, I think uh, that there, are, there are times when uh, you have to give up. I mean, when the time comes to give up, you do. L'étape de demain, le dîner d'hier. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. Well, I think yesterday was one of those days where we all felt like giving up at a certain point, didn't we? we I mean, it really uh, knocked us off our stride, didn't it? The logistics were tricky. The two-hour traffic jam was tricky. Uh, when we tried to upload the files, there was no Wi-Fi. Uh, there was no 5G. We tried to use the Wi-Fi in the little bookshop where you'd done your uh, talk with partial success. Uh, dinner was slightly disappointing, wasn't it? I mean, my steak was... I mean, Mitch, you'll tell me it was overdone. Oh yeah, it was leather. It was like the bottom of my shoe again. <laughs> <laughs> But we were grateful to have something to eat. But the Tour de France tax was pretty costly because when we got back to our Airbnb in Poe, Simon Gill, our photographer friend, realised he'd left his camera in the restaurant. So he had to do an hour and something drive round trip to go and collect his camera. This morning we've discovered that Francois has left his jacket and passport in the apartment and Mitch has left his wash bag. I mean, that's a triple whammy. I'm just waiting to see what I've left. Um, but anyway, that's last night's dinner. Tomorrow's stage, Mitch, what have we got? Uh, we've got a nice sprint stage tomorrow. We've got a typical sprint stage, not too many climbs. Actually, we've got one Category 4 climb later in the race and a sprint at 88k in. I haven't mentioned where it is. We're heading out from Mont-de-Marsan all the way across to Bordeaux. It's 169.9 kilometres, 170k for the boys. Uh, look, there's not really much to say about this stage other than what Francois already said, that Bordeaux is a sprinting sprinter's heaven. This is where you want to win as a sprinter. Um, I'm really looking forward to a, let's say, stock standard sprint um, because it'll be good to see. Well, the two big questions are, can Mark Cavendish finally do it? We'll keep asking. And Fabio Jakobsen, what kind of shape is he going to be in? Got through today's stage, uh, albeit last over the line, possibly still a bit sore. Francois, you spoke to Tom Steeles of Sudal Quickstep this morning to see what they were hoping. I'm with Tom Steeles at the start of the start, uh, stage to Cotteret. I just wanted to know what a day like this is for a rider like Fabio and uh, what the team does to help... Fabio, go through the mountains. Well, it's a big fight. Eh? I mean, uh, it's a very short stage. It's a very hard stage. You know how much time you will lose on the climbs. Uh, and then it's a matter of a good day or a bad day. But uh, especially, I wouldn't be worried uh, if there wasn't a crash. But now is the crash there. The second day is always tough. They also expect thunderstorms, which also can be of influence. Imagine the first have, doesn't have the, the thunderstorms and we as, as uh, at the back they have because there can be a difference of 20 minutes then you lose enough more t more time so yeah it can go any any direction how is he this morning he's okay he slept okay but we all know the second and the third day after a big crash are usually the worst then it gets better so we'll see but it's uh yeah who are the riders who are going to stay with fabio normally today we will see we will see uh always michael that's for sure And the rest, we will see how he goes. If he's really, really, really not a good day, then we also have to make a decision what we're going to do. 
if he's okay, then then we will see how many riders we let start. we we want that that stay with him. The, the Netflix series provided you know great dramatic you know images of Fabio struggling in the mountains and making it. Uh, do, do you think it's a, it's kind of an incentive for him to to even more to be even more eager to finish? Yeah, but he wants to stay in the tour. That's for sure. Whatever it takes. Uh, but we are human, and, and if the body doesn't want to cooperate, the body doesn't want to cooperate. But the mind has, has the mind has to stay focused on, uh, on what he can do, and always has to think forward. And then it's the legs who tell, the competition who says. If imagine the breakaway doesn't go, and it goes on the climb, then you're there already dropped. It depends a little bit about the competition. We just can hope that the breakaway goes early and that there is peace and quiet in the bunch. Well, I've got a feeling all these people who have arrived here are here for you, Francois. Well, so not, well I mean, there's, there's, it's a split party. That's the, that's the nice thing about it. I mean, there, there are the, the Viscos has got two. It's got the, the restaurant and it's got a little brasserie next door. And so that there's, there's my party, my farewell do. And, and there's also a party by local authorities with Christian Prudhomme. And so... There'll be there'll be a mixture. I'm 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 afraid the the two parties might end up being one, but we'll see later. Well, we'll look forward to seeing what Leviscos has in store for us when they start bringing out the food. I'm looking forward to that. We'll report back on that tomorrow. And Francois, yeah, we will leave Leviscos tomorrow, Mitch and I, with with heavy hearts. But uh, Francois. I think yesterday showed us some of the things you won't miss on the Tour de France, the traffic jams, you know, the, the bad service station sandwiches, uh, the, the, the block toilets in the press room, the, the, the bad hotels. But tell us, what will you miss when you're not working on the Tour de France daily? You know exactly what I'm going to miss, guys. I miss you guys. <laughs> Oh, well, we'll leave it there, shall we? We'll yeah. leave it there. We'll play out with uh, a little package of Francois' highlights from 2017. He joined us on the cycling podcast in Dusseldorf, at the Grand Depart. He made a couple of guest appearances before that, and then he settled right into our Tour de France team, adding the French flavour, his Anglo-French sense of humour, which is, uh, I mean, pretty unique, really. You mm. get, get the British sense of humour, but you add the French flair as well. And uh, your knowledge and expertise of the Tour de France and of France in general and its culture and its people. You've booked us restaurants, you've translated, you've helped us get round the, the gendarme when we've been told we can't go somewhere. You've helped us make relationships with uh, the Tour de France organisers. And I know that everyone who's worked with you has found it an absolute pleasure. I certainly have. I know Mitch has. Uh, we've had some great days on the Tour de France. And hopefully, yeah, you'll make a few guest appearances in the future. But I'm sure I can say on behalf of all of our listeners... Merci, Francois. I've even got a T-shirt with a slogan on it. Well, we say de rien, which means you're welcome. Former Doncaster waiter and the doyen of the press room, Francois Thomaso. Bonsoir, as we say in French. Really? Good evening, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Francois. Thank you. A great day. I mean, it's, it, it, what does it mean to be a Frenchman in the yellow jersey on Bastille Day? Well, I've never personally held the yellow jersey on Bastille Day. But no, I, I know that well, from what the French writers were saying today, it means a lot. You know, in, in the break today, there were lots of uh, French teams. And in the past, there's, there's been criticism of French teams not collaborating enough, not working together to get jerseys like the Spaniards do, for instance. It, you know, you know, cycling, has, it's, it's, it's on rules and in all the, the, the teams 
directors I, I, I talked to in the morning, they all said today Nibali will lose the jersey. You know, it was like a pact. You know, everybody knew it was a, well not a secret, but but an, an unwritten rule of the day that the big stage is tomorrow. Plonge de Belfi, whoever wins it, you know, or, uh, will take the, the the yellow jersey back in, in Nibali or Contador. Francois, any any altercations? Mm, there's always altercations between French teams, anyway. You know, so uh, that, that there that there's always confrontation between Coffee this Europe car and and FDJ. But I, di- I didn't hear anything like really nasty because I mean the French team has been doing so badly so far that uh, you know they they have a tendency to they have a tendency this year to uh, confront um, altercations seems to be b- between themselves and unwittingly. You know, like they fall all over uh, one another. So there, there's, there's been no time to uh, for a real confrontation. For, for me, it's really the first week of the tour has been so tense that I think the tempers are really boiling by now. And uh, uh, today was a you know welcome lull. It's more impressive recognizing the road or identifying the winner. I think both are equally impressive. Pats on the back for us. The most, the most impressive, I, I think, is I was there and I can't remember any winner. <laughs> <laughs> you should have tried the sauerkraut. There was excellent sauerkraut in, the, in that uh, expo center, you know. It's, it's sauerkraut ever excellent Francois I'm not sure it is no no it's not it's not always excellent but that one was quite good actually so no can't complain about the buffets on the tour so far <laughs> oh, the buffet was great the buffet is great you know you have pancakes and sausage that's a Breton specialty and I found it excellent to be honest I tend to be a little bit wary of you know the set recipe like ah this is the way it should be once restaurant owner myself and I know lots of chefs and that's bullshit you know like cassoulet that's basic ingredients but then you do dishes with what you what what you've got as for carrot and cassoulet I agree I agree it sounds a little bit like a Dutchman writing for Movistar <laughs> the, the diet I've been given I discovered it's actually the, 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 the kind of diet the, the, the ill-famed doc, Dr. Mabu Imposed on his riders, so so actually the nutritionists I, I work with or you know looks after me seem to have been oh, at least to the, of the same school as Dr. Mabuse. I've always suspected that Francois was podcast doping. Now I have the now I have the the, the proof. This is the first ever edition of the cycling podcast water feature. I'm photographing that was this. that was Rich's uh, uh, suggestion for a title. The water feature. So glass number one, please. We're going to have to hurry you along here, Francois. You haven't got time to swill it round or sniff it. Is that Contrex? No, shaking his head. Okay, glass number two. God, he's doing this with the the verve of a seasoned wine taster. Mm, okay. Glass glass number three. That's contracts. Oh, he's gone. He's gone straight for it. In glass number four. Right, that's Vitel. Evian Volvic contracts. Absolutely, that's 100%. extraordinary. 100%. I'm absolutely. I'm. I was that's, so looking forward to that amazing. being wrong. I, most tastes are a quiet taste, and and that's true all over the world. And Andouille is absolutely brilliant if you know how to. Well, if you've been bred into it, and if you if you, you have a sophisticated palate. Francois, we we knew you were a distinguished former runner, but 154 was your best time for 800. What about 1500? Uh, well, 1500 was not really my thing. I, I I don't know why. I had a psychological. I think it was 356 was my best, and uh, and I really struggled to get under four minutes. I don't know why. I actually my my good distance was was it's very seldom run, but it was a thousand meters. I was pretty good at that. Uh, yeah, so we were, we were alone with the story. Uh, I mean, it was 
really a kind of panic wave uh, suddenly you know overtook the, the press for me was in the Dublin Castle I remember very nice premises everything there, there's a great kind of satisfaction when you've, when you've moved the, the feel when you've moved, moved the news and you see all your colleagues running around uh, like in a, in, a, in a frenzy you know like hens frightened by a fox or something and they're all and, and you are, you're on top of the story and you know that you know now guys it's up to you to try and, and find new things so that, that's what happened guys were coming to me guys from Le Monde guys go so what, what do you know do you know any you know they, they were so yeah I was kind of on top of the world for a, for a while <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to travel with you since Dusseldorf in 2017 and so um, I hope you'll be back for a few stages um, next year almost definitely my last Tour de France I mean as a whole but, but it's not my last it's not the last time you hear my voice on the podcast for sure thank you Francois merci les gars The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burney.